You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. Uh, it is so good to be back with you, to have uh, you in the room. Welcome those that are watching online. Uh, before I start this morning, I have some news to share with you, some incredibly exciting news from our senior pastors, John and Joni, who are currently on sabbatical. They have had a baby, and uh, it is a little baby boy born on the... Th- <laughs> I know, there's a photo. Born on the 30th of December, his name is George Henry John Clark, and um, all are doing well. I'm sure we'll be able to have cuddles very soon when they come back. Uh, Why don't we give a round of applause for that? I pitched the name Joshua, but uh, I was rejected. Well, Happy New Year. The new year is here. Um, new babies, new years. How many of you love new things? Isn't there something fun, something beautiful about new things? We live in a culture, don't we, which heavily values the new thing, the latest thing, latest technology, latest ideas. The foundations of our culture are shifting and moving so quickly, pursuing what is new. And that's not all bad. I love new things. Um, as Johnny so helpfully pointed out, I'm wearing a lot of my new clothes. Anyone notice it? The new hat? Thanks for... Uh, I've had a few uh, compliments already. Like, Josh, those glasses are terrible. But these actually aren't new. But um, anyway, uh, so yeah, we love new things. And I, I, love, I love the new year. I don't know about you, but every January, I'm I know it's dark and I know it's cold and wet and I know spring feels a long way away and we've got the post-Christmas blues, but I love the new year because the new year seems to me to be an opportunity or or an invitation almost to realign ourselves, to recenter, to almost recalibrate with what we're called to do, with, with who we're called to be first and foremost present to, which is God. How many of you know it's, it's easy to be distracted from the thing we were born for? I experience that all the time, particularly over a season like Christmas, which is so full of busyness and fun. It's so easy to have our gaze drift from Jesus. New Year is an incredible start moment to start afresh. And also, I, I love that God loves new things. God loves new things. In Isaiah 43, God himself says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. God is always doing new things. God is always doing new things. He's always on the move. He's always about his business. He's always speaking fresh words and always moving and calling and inviting us into what he is doing today. God is doing new things. And what I love about that is that it means that the past doesn't have the final say. It means that what's happened in the last year doesn't define me, that this is a new year and a new dawn and a new Day and God is doing something new. And my sense as I've been praying over the last couple of weeks is that God wants to do some new things and God is going to be starting some new things over the next year. And I was just saying, Lord, what is on your heart for our church community? What new things do you want to do? And 
felt him just give me a load that I wanted to just share with you as we start the new year, almost like a, a bit of a faith thing because I, I sense God wants to do some new things. I felt like God wanted to say he wanted to birth new ministries in our church that we've not even thought of yet. I felt like he said he wants new businesses to be planted. We plant churches and we plant businesses which bless the city. I felt like God say he wants to encourage us to reach new locations and new areas of the city that we've never been able to reach before, but that are hungering after hope. I felt like him saying he wanted to pour a fresh new creativity upon us, give us increased favor in the city, which will open more doors than ever before. I loved hearing what Ben was saying about all our compassion stuff. And actually, I think we've just seen a glimpse of what God wants to do through this community in the city. I think there's more to come and new things. I also really sensed that adoption and fostering was on God's heart. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but maybe God is going to be stirring you for that, to step into some thing of that story this year. Um, and I also felt he wanted to bring a new increased awareness to the Holy Spirit's movement, particularly moving in power of God, in ministry, and in, in, in stepping into power encounters. So I think there's a lot that the Lord might want to do and might want to birth over this next year. And my prayer and my heart, my sense for every single one of us in this church community is that we would say yes to that invitation. I believe there is a promised land laid before every single one of us that Jesus is calling us to inherit, inhabit, and become established in. So what does it look like for us as we begin this new year to step into that invitation? Where do we start? Well, church, I love new things. I love things that are new. But actually, I believe the key to stepping into the new is to embrace the old. So we're going to start this new year over the next month by talking about some very old things, some ancient practices which have been around for millennia. And we're going to start with prayer. That is where we are going to begin. If you want a title for today's talk, it is an invitation to pray. And over the next month, as we've heard already today, we're seeking to say yes to the invitation of Jesus to become people of prayer. We've got some books that I wanted to recommend. Unfortunately, I don't have them with me on stage. Um, but we've got a couple of books in our bookshop that you can go and grab and purchase after today. There is an incredible book by Richard Foster, not our friend Rich Foster who's sat at the back there. The other Richard Foster called Simply Prayer. He wrote another book called The Celebration of Discipline about all the, the spiritual practices, which is one of my all-time favorites. And his book on prayer really goes in deep. Um, we've also ordered a whole bunch of Pete Gregg from 24-7 Prayer's book, How to Pray. Um, we've subsidized this book. We've got a bunch. So if you want to get this, it is 20% cheaper than Amazon in the whole Vineyard bookstore today. Can you believe it? And you can just pick it up. It's unbelievable. What a deal. Uh, and I love that book, and I know that it will bless you and increase your faith as you read. And a book that I've been reading over the last month, which is blowing my mind, which we don't have in the bookshop, um, is, is by a guy called Leonard Ravenhill called uh, Why Revival Tarries. It is a classic and it's been wrecking me and you can find that online if you are interested. But to start off with, uh, we, we're just going to talk about prayer, an invitation to pray. If you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11. 
We'll be hanging out in Luke a lot over the next week. But here's one verse I just wanted to read as we kick off our teaching on prayer. This This is what it says. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When Jesus finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Did you know in the whole of the Gospels, the first century biographies of the life of Jesus, there's no other example of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them something. And Jesus did a lot of incredible things. He preached incredibly. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He raised people from the dead. The disciples never said, Jesus, teach us how to raise the dead. I think that would be my one. I'd want to do that. That excites me. I want to raise the dead. Jesus, teach us how to raise the dead. No, no, no. They didn't say any of that. But they said the one thing they asked Jesus to teach them to do was teach us to pray. Why do you think that was the case? Why do you think the, the, the writers of the New Testament decided to put this in, that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray? Well, I want to suggest this morning, it is because the disciples knew that everything else in the life of Jesus, everything of significance, all the miracles and the power and the healings and the casting out demons, his preaching, his destroying the works of Satan, everything flowed from his connection to the Father, which was birthed in prayer. Prayer holds the power. What if prayer, the practice of prayer is the key to all that we long for and yearn for in our church and in our city. A word on prayer. Prayer, the word prayer itself carries with it, for a lot of people, quite a lot of baggage. Quite a lot of guilt, maybe, or some confusion, possibly even frustration. Prayer, I I think, is possibly the number one thing in the life of the Christian that we know we should do, and yet we struggle to do. Anyone else with me on that one? Richard Foster writes this in his book on prayer. Today we yearn for prayer and hired from prayer. We are attracted to it and repelled by it. We believe prayer is something we should do, even something we want to do, but it seems as if a chasm stands between us and actually praying. We experience the agony of prayerlessness. I wonder if you can relate to that. Maybe you can't. Maybe you're here today and you're just smashing your prayer life. Maybe it's going incredibly well, like you are nailing it in a good way. I wonder if I took a poll of our church and asked a simple question. How many of you here are like just killing it at prayer? How many of you have got prayer down, like you nailing it, like you love prayer, you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, or you're on your, Paul Mazzardi does this, you're on your knees and you are just like, you're not even tired. You grab a drink and then you are immersed in the presence of God, praying for four hours. Then you get up and go to work. Like you are, is anyone doing that? Good, what a relief. I don't know about you, but for me, for pretty much my entire Christian life, prayer is something that I have been endlessly frustrated by. Not so much praying in and of itself, but rather the lived experience that much of the time prayer just seems hard. Prayer seems like a drag or like a battle, like a fight. The reality is today we live in a time and culture in which it is one of the most difficult in history for us to pray. There are lots of reasons for this. Firstly, 
we live in a time of digital distraction. We have a universe of information and media and social media and fun and messages and constant distraction in our pockets at any moment that is constantly calling us and beckoning us to engage and to open. The illusion that our phones give is that they are designed to connect us with one another. I don't think that's true at all. I think it's a lie. They exist to distract us from each other and addict our attention to a digital space. And what happens for many of us is that our prayer life, our life with God suffers as a result. For some of us, if we're really honest, prayer can feel a bit boring. And there's no guilt and there's no shame, particularly when you've got the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings available to watch. Why pray? For some of us, prayer carries a religious burden. Like it's something we've, we've been told all our life we have to do. It's just about ticking a box and there's a weight, there's a guilt, there's a shame that comes attached to that religion. For many of us in our busy, hurried lives, we feel like we simply don't have time amongst everything we've got going on, all the plates we're spinning to stop and to press into prayer. For some of us, it's a feeling that actually before we come to God, we have to have everything lined up. Everything has to be just right in order for us to pray. Before we come to God, we need to have our lives in order and our prayers pre-wrapped and pre-prepared. And We need to know everything about God before we can come and pray. For some people, it's a fear. I don't really know what to say in prayer. Like, where, where do I even begin? For some of us, we feel like our motives need to be right. For some of us, it's like I need to understand God fully before I can pray. For some people, we've prayed in the past and we've had experiences of unanswered prayer. And then we question whether God is even listening at all. Now, I wonder where you find yourself on the journey of prayer. Now, none of this is designed to cause guilt. In fact, I'd argue that the feeling that we've already failed is one of the greatest barriers to stepping into a life of prayer. This isn't about guilt or religion or making God happy. This is about saying yes to an invitation. Really, it's all about invitation. It's an invitation from Jesus for us to rediscover the beauty of prayer and life with God. It's an invitation to become fully alive in the presence of God and becoming fully awake to the life that I was born for. It's an invitation to the practice of prayer. This is the journey we're going on over the next month and beyond. So what is prayer? How are we defining prayer? Well, it's super simple. Prayer is talking with God. That's how we're simply defining it over the next few months. There's a lot of complexity in that, but actually prayer on the whole is really simple. Talking with God. Paul Miller writes this, prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Notice that prayer isn't the end goal. Prayer accomplishes something which is the end goal, which is an experience of and connection to our Heavenly Father. That is the purpose of prayer. That is the invitation. It's not an invitation to a religious practice. It's not a box-ticking exercise. It's an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to communion with the creator of the universe. It's a, an invitation to encounter and experience God as we pray. It's an invitation to friendship 
to walking with God. I started the Bible in a year, um, in January, January the 1st, as I like to do every single year and with varied amounts of success. And uh, I'm struck through the, the opening chapters of the book of Genesis how often um, the Bible commends people that walk with God. That if you notice that, just life with God is simply about walking with Him in relationship, talking. This is an invitation, as we're going to explore in a couple of weeks, of creating daily rhythms and habits and patterns of prayer, which will sustain us through the long haul. And this is an invitation of hearing God's voice for ourselves as the Father wants to speak to his kids. It's an invitation to position ourselves in a place where we can receive all that God has for us. It's an invitation to find our source and our sustenance in God, it's an invitation to say no to exhaustion and burnout and anxiety and fear and worry, but replace that with a life spent in prayer. It's an invitation to explore the mysteries of heaven and to say yes to the journey of allowing the supernatural to become normal for us. It's an invitation of prayer to be part of seeing our broken reality realigned with God's divine design and purpose. And ultimately, it's an invitation to come home, to come back to God, to allow him to, to be woven into the fabric of our daily routine. Rich Foster, thanks Rich again, um, says this, today the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. Have you ever thought that God longs for your presence? God longs for your presence. He's inviting us to come home. The invitation of prayer. And so where do we begin as we embark on a month of prayer and fasting? Well, today I wanted to look at the life of Jesus as we are his disciples, another word for disciples is, is the word apprentice. As we apprentice under Jesus, we've got to look at the life of Jesus and the lifestyle of Jesus. John Mark Comer said, if we want to have the life of Jesus, we need to embody the lifestyle of Jesus. We want to look at the life of Jesus today and explore how did Jesus pray. Next week, we're going to look at the teachings of Jesus in prayer. Then we're going to explore how we practically create rhythms and practices of prayer. And the end of the month, we're going to talk about revival prayer and bringing prayer to our, a revival to our city and beyond. So that's where we're going over the next month. But there's one verse in the Gospel of Luke that I wanted to focus in on and hone in on, draw a few helpful principles out of today, and it's Luke chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, verses 15 to 16. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but I discovered that the Gospel of Luke contains more about Jesus' prayer life than the other three Gospels combined. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, why don't you do this over January, find all of the different moments where we kind of peer in on the prayer life of Jesus. And here is one of those times. Verse 15 says this, Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him, and to be healed of their sicknesses. Crowds of people are coming to find Jesus because he's doing incredible things. Verse 16, key verse, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus was a man of prayer. As we read the scriptures and we read about the life of Jesus, we can see that prayer 
was the centerpiece, the center point of his life. Jesus was God in human form, and yet he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. Pete Gregg, in his brilliant book, How to Pray, um, he said this, the greatest person who ever lived was preeminently a man of prayer. Let me give you some examples. Before launching out in public ministry, Jesus prayed and fasted for a month in the wilderness. Before choosing his 12 disciples, he prayed all night. When he discovered his cousin John, the baptizer, had been killed, he retreated and prayed. When Jesus was exhausted after feeding the 5,000, he climbed a mountain to pray. Jesus was a man of prayer. When he went through the pressures of biz- and busyness of ministry, he withdrew to pray. He prayed for Peter when Satan asked God to sift him. He prayed when confronted with deep soul grief and stress in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prayed. Prayer was woven into the fabric of Jesus' routine. It was in the place of prayer that he had tangible encounters with his heavenly Father where he received wisdom and guidance and vision from God. It was in the place of prayer that he discovered his identity. And so much more, Jesus was a man of prayer. How did Jesus practice prayer. Well, verse 16 is our key verse for this morning. It says this, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is where we're starting. This is the invitation to pray for every single one of us starting today. It's an invitation to create a regular space alone with God to talk. Let me unpack these words. Jesus often withdrew. I find it fascinating. I don't know if you do as well, but I find it fascinating that the God-man Jesus, in his humanity, made it a priority to withdraw from the busyness of his mission, from the demands and the expectations of everyone around him, even the needs of people at times in order to spend time with God and invest in his inner life. How many of you know that Jesus got tired? Jesus got weary. He experienced the fullness of human life and he knew that he could not sustain his mission without constant communion with God. He was fully God but also a human. Now just before this verse in Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals a leper He does an incredible miracle. He restores dignity. He brings hope and people hear about it. And the crowds are gathering. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people are chasing after Jesus to gather to hear him and to be healed by him. Surely you would have thought Jesus needs to just hang out and do the healing, make it happen. But the Bible says he would withdraw. In those seasons of busyness and pressure, Jesus would make it a priority to get into his secret place with his heavenly father. Great crowds have come to receive from him and Jesus withdraws. Here's some Bible verses where he does that. In the other scriptures, Matthew 14, after dismissing the crowds, he sends them away. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Luke chapter six, during those days, he went out to the mountainside to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 9, about eight days after this conversation, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. 
We feel like New Year should be a, a, a time when we feel completely refreshed and restored. But how many of you, even now, feel a tiredness in your bones that just doesn't seem to go away? How many of you feel weighed down and burdened, even at the start of a new year, by all that you're carrying in life? How many of you feel like your daily routine and daily life is choking you instead of bringing joy? The invitation from Jesus for every single one of us is to craft a life around prayer. Prayer is often our last resort. When we're at the end of our rope, prayer is often the final thing that we put in our diary when planning. But when we look at the life of Jesus, it was the most important thing for him. It could interrupt him at any moment. Jesus would often withdraw. And it wasn't just once or twice, but for Jesus, it was a daily, uh, habitual, rhythmic pattern of withdrawing and praying and returning and ministering and withdrawing and praying. There was almost a song, a dance about the rhythm of Jesus's life. Many of us want the end result of a fruitful life without the cost and the foundation of withdrawing and building a prayer life. And it's challenging, isn't it? Because withdrawing always means saying no to something, often something important. Whenever Jesus withdrew, he was saying no to something. Maybe it was the crowds. Maybe it was people's demands or expectations. Maybe it was the temptation to look good and to be successful. What might withdrawing look for us? What might we have to say no to? Maybe it is intentional withdrawing from our phones or from the TV or from social media. Well, here's a big one. How about from sleep? Anyone hate withdrawing from sleep? I just quote, the Lord, the Lord gives sleep to those he loves in the Psalms. And I just use that to justify lions. In order to say yes to prayer and to intentional time with the Father, we have to be ruthless about withdrawing from things that are currently occupying our attention. Let me ask you a question. What do you need to withdraw from in order to more fully gaze upon Jesus? What are the things that you might need to say no to in order to create space to encounter God in prayer? Where are the distractions? Where are the unhealthy attachments? Where are the good things that have become a burden because they have replaced our time with God? Jesus often withdrew. And to, to, to stop you from feeling guilty, let me give you an example of oft, sometimes, often, how my prayer time works. I get up in the morning, first thing with Ivy. She's my little baby, she's 15, and she's like running around all the time. And um, she's amazing and adorable and relentless. And uh, so I'll get up in the morning and uh, I'll go downstairs and I'll take Ivy and I'll say, right, I need to, I need to pray. So um, I'll, I'll like... Ivy will be running around playing. I'll just give her some toys to distract her. And I'll say, okay, I need to pray. What do I pray for? Why don't I pray for Ivy? Because she's here and she's, uh, you know, she's a lot. So I say, Lord, uh, oh, where do I start? Uh, God, I want to thank you for Ivy. And thank you that she's cute. But um, God, would you just make her like less relentless? And, and then my phone vibrates in my pocket. And then I'm like, oh, I probably should check that just in case it's an emergency. Get it out. Okay, well, that's a nice text message. Let's reply to that. Um, oh, do you know what? I've not checked the coronavirus update for today. Probably should quickly do that. And then I might be able to pray for that. So again, that out. Um, 
what's happening on BBC Sport. My mind's like, a, anyone else experience this BBC Sport quickly? I could pray for Man United because we need prayer right now at this time. Pray for that. And then oh, I've, not, I've realized I haven't updated my fantasy football and I need to do that by 11.30. Otherwise, I'll miss the point. So let me quickly update my fantasy football. Okay, I really must pray now. Let's start to pray. I've got a bit of a dry throat and you can't pray with a dry throat. So I'm going to go to the kitchen, get a glass of water, make sure Ivy's okay, get a glass of water, sit down. And then I'm like, Amen. That was awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I love prayer. And then I'm like, right, breakfast time. (laughs) I don't know if that has ever happened to you, but it has happened to me a lot. So we need to withdraw. We need to say intentionally no to certain things. Jesus withdrew to lonely places. Another translation of the lonely place is a desolate place or a wilderness place. These are um, essentially places free from distraction, free from people. The introverts in the room are like, woo! The extroverts are like, please don't leave me. (laughs) Jesus was always stepping back to be alone with God. There's something life-giving, guys, about being alone with God and his presence. We need it. Our souls need it. Building a secret place, I think, is the key to a life of greatness, to a life of power, and to a life of fruitfulness. Leonard Ravenhill, he says this in his brilliant book, uh, Why Revival Tarries, the secret of praying is praying in secret. A sinning man will stop praying and a praying man will stop sinning. So where is your lonely place? For some of you, it might be a dog walk. It might be a coffee shop. For others, it might be a garden or your lounge. Wherever it might be, let me encourage you to be intentional to find a place and make it your lonely place. It's a space where you can be alone with God, even just for a few minutes. Let me tell you the story of a lady called Susanna. She was a woman of prayer. She had a pretty traumatic life. She lost nine children. She raised 10 more, almost single-handedly. Her house was burnt down twice. She started a Sunday school in kitchen because the local church was dead. And that Sunday school for her kids grew and grew and grew. She moved it to a barn and ultimately it had at least 200 people in it. Susanna. And in the midst of all of this, she was a woman of remarkable prayer. How did she find time with 10 kids running around to pray? Well, here's what she would do, and I love this. In her kitchen, she would simply pull her apron over her head. That was her lonely place. And her kids knew when mom has got her apron over her head, she's, she's in prayer time. We do not disturb. Susanna was a woman of prayer, and she was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist movement, heroes of the faith. She had a lonely place in the midst of everything that was going on under her apron. Where is your lonely place? If you've not got one, get one. Find somewhere where you can be alone and withdraw there tomorrow, just for a few moments. Quiet your heart, still your mind, put away distractions and pray. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. To pray. Prayer often carries with it so much baggage, as I said, but it is simply talking with God. It sounds too simple, but that's it. Talk with him. Listen to him. 
receive from him. Come as you are, not as you want to be. Come with all your hopes and dreams and angst and fear and just talk. Come with your needs and wants and desires and ask. Come with your mess and your sin and repent. Come with your awe and wonder and worship. Just talk. That is prayer. That is where we're starting. It is so simple. Just talk. You don't have to have long, eloquent prayers. Just tell him what's on your heart. Three principles that Nikki Gumbel gave of how to pray, which I love, is keep it honest, keep it simple, and keep it up. Keep it honest, keep it simple, keep it up. And we're going to be talking a lot more about prayer over the next month. We're going to be talking or opening our prayer room, which we've talked about. Two big nights of prayer and worship, a week of intentional prayer and fasting. There's so many things happening, lots of resources that we're going to be releasing. And the vision and the purpose, we want to galvanize our church, our community into a people of prayer. This is not just for January, this is for the rest of our lives. It's the journey. For some of you, it might be starting this journey for the very first time. For some of you, you've been trying to pray for decades and found it endlessly frustrating. This is a fresh start. It's a new year. Some of you are passionate about prayer. You are intercessors. You are on your knees praying and praying. Uh, And we want to catch some of that for our community, not just for our lives, but for our church, not just for our church, but for our city. I believe with deep conviction that if we become a people who hunger and thirst after God, who grow in prayer, who live like Jesus in our prayer life, I believe we will see our city completely transformed. So as we've looked at the life of Jesus today, as apprentices under the rabbi Jesus, may we become people of prayer. Take time, starting tomorrow, or today, to withdraw. I promise you it will be good for your soul. Find a lonely place, say no to distractions, and say yes to an intentional meeting time with Jesus in the secret place and watch what he does with your life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.